Would you find Luke chapter 1? We're going to begin reading verses 5 through 22 as we are beginning this series of messages now through Christmas Day about I have a Christmas message for you, signed Jesus. Believe he has a message certainly for us. And uh, we uh, give a shout out, of course, to uh, also uh, to Auburn High School football team making it to the state playoffs this Wednesday. You've already heard announced a little bit of a modified schedule playing on Wednesday night. Now listen, this time and this one time only, uh, the modified schedule is really mostly for those who are not going to the game. We still have some things happening here, I think, for maybe every age except for maybe our youth or teenagers. So we're assuming that they're going to the game. But I give you permission. You can come and eat with us and then go to the game if you'd like to. So from 5 to 5.45, we'll still be serving, give you plenty of time to go if you'd like uh, to do that. But congratulations for them, and uh, we will certainly have many supporting them in uh, all community events. Luke chapter 1, we're reading verses uh, 5 and following. I tell you what, let's make this transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas by me saying that I am thankful for Parkway Baptist Church. I'm thankful to be your pastor. No place I'd rather be, no people I'd rather be with than uh, our church family here at Parkway. Love you, and uh, we're glad to glad always to be with you on Sunday and all other ministries that are happening uh, with our church. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, this now is the word of God. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's word today? In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah who had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized they had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute." May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today, and you may be seated. So it was uh, well before Thanksgiving, actually before October 31st, perhaps just after Labor Day, that I walked into a store and they were putting up a Christmas tree. And uh, I made the remark to them as I passed by to the employees there, I said, uh, are you taking it up or are you putting it down? And they said, well, we're, we're putting it up. And they said, it gets 
earlier every year. And I made the comment. I said, well, pretty soon you'll be taking it up on the same day that you're putting it, uh, taking it down the same day that you're putting it up. And I really thought that was funny. But at the same moment, I had the idea that I could have been in one of those progressive commercials to where they tell homeowners not to act like their parents. <laughs> and, uh, but I guess it's okay for us to celebrate early and often because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus left the throne room of heaven and came to be born amongst us and lived amongst us. So it's okay to celebrate early and often heaven's love and heaven's message. What if I were to convince you today that God had a message particularly for you today? Because you're here today. He's got a message as if perhaps for no one else. And he has something that each time we're going to gather together during this Advent season over these next few weeks, even through Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, which will be on Sunday. Would you dare miss a service? Well, I'm going to tell you, we're going to have some special visitors that are going to be amongst us these days. Some of these are going to be heavenly visitors, and there's going to be a message from each, and we're going to want to make the most of our time together and come asking each time we gather together, what message does the Lord have for me today? Also, let me encourage you to spend these next 28 days in preparation, as we call this Advent, as a time of preparation. At the same time as you're going to prepare your home and you're going to prepare gifts and food, at the same time you also want to prepare your hearts. Plan to be in the Lord's house. Bring family and friends with you. I know that some of you, you get together and you have family get-togethers perhaps on Sunday because it's the only day perhaps that you can get together. Well, if they're coming to your house, go ahead and make it the idea that you're coming that we're going to include worship with that. Come and be a part. Everybody come to worship. Pack a pew or two as if we still had pews and then come and you can uh, be, let that be a part of your celebration this season. But let's have more and more each Sunday and then we'll be prepared to see the Lord's house packed on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. I believe the Lord's going to have a message for each of us over the next few weeks. And part of that message is how we can make a difference or people can see a difference in us. Malachi, last verse in the Bible, last book in the Bible, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 18 says this. It says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. Now, Malachi, being the last book of the Old Testament, he writes about a future people who will serve God to where other people can see a difference. I'm not sure always that the world can see a difference between those who are genuine followers of the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure that church people always know that there is a difference or what the difference is. Well, we're going to be on a quest today and in the next few weeks that we might be able to discover the difference and how people can see the difference uh, as well. And I want you to be prepared for Jesus this Christmas. We're going to talk about that this morning, how we might use this as a day of preparation and be listening for the message that the Lord would have for each one of us. We want to be ready to hear and listen and to follow. And we want to be ready for the presence of Jesus dominating our life, not just on the Lord's Day or on Christmas Day or not just the Christmas season, but always. I used this verse in Malachi chapter 3 that we had on the screen for moment ago for because of its connection to John the Baptist that we read about who would be born. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the very last two verses of the Old Testament. 
And so you see the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, all not a word for word, but almost the same verse as what we read a moment ago in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Luke's making a connection there to what was said at the, in the Old Testament to what's taking place in the New Testament. And John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the last recorded prophecy that we have in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Not the Bible, but the Old Testament. Jesus clearly tells us later as well that John is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He's that transition and his message is important. And the message of John the Baptist is preceded by what I'm going to call the first Christmas angel or first heavenly visitor for these next few weeks. At least 15 months before baby Jesus was born in the manger in Bethlehem, the angel visited the old priest by the name of Zechariah. It's a familiar story. You've heard it before. Many of you, he was a good and as godly man as you would ever want to meet, but even he was not completely prepared for what was about to happen. But this message is going to help us to be prepared to be in the presence of the Lord. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they were descendants of Aaron. They were PKs. They were priest kids. Uh, they both grew up in priest homes. And look, they turned out okay. And now they were fulfilling their calling of a priest husband and wife. The Bible says in verse 6, we read it, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both upright or righteous, depending on your translation, before God. They obeyed the commandments. They followed the ordinance of the Old Testament. They were blameless. Now, blameless does not mean that they were sinless because what we have here is an example of Old Testament believers in God worshipers. One of the questions that many people have about people living in the Old Testament and before Jesus was on the cross and the resurrection is how were people saved then? How did they get to heaven? Well, the misunderstanding by many was that is still today that people in the Old Testament were saved by works and people in the New Testament were saved by faith. Well, uh, or this understanding that all Jewish people were going to be saved and that they were going to be, go to heaven and you had to become Jewish or had to become a proselyte of the Jews in order to go to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible says. All people have been saved, everyone who gets to heaven, it's only by grace through faith. And here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth were blameless because they've been forgiven of sins, put their faith in God. They followed the commandments and the ordinances of the Old Testament, not so that they might be saved and get to heaven one day, but because they knew and they loved God. Now, most of the Jewish people in that day, if they tried to follow the commandments and the ordinance, it was hoping to earn favor with God. It was part of their ritual and religion, not simply because they loved God. But here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth. They understood about a practical faith and a faith that works. Here's a wonderful godly husband and wife serving God. Life should have been grand and glorious for them. But was it? They had a problem that must have burdened them for a long time. They wanted children and they could not have any. The Bible says that Elizabeth was barren and now they were very old. Now we know the serious and sometimes the sadness of a couple who want to have children but cannot even today. But in that day, not to have children was considered wrongly a curse from God, that God has somehow looked unfavorably on them. Even the rabbis determined that a woman who was barren uh, was grounds for divorce because she was wrongfully considered being punished by God for her own sin. 
But that was not the case then, and it's certainly not the case now. And the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth lets us know that just because we go through times of difficulties, it may not be because we have sinned or because simply God is out to get us. Nor does it mean that when everything is going well or going great that God sure might like us better than He likes others because even the seemingly easy and good times can be short-lived. The lesson we learned from Zechariah and Elizabeth and Abraham and Sarah and Hannah, the mother of Samuel, is God is greater than any problem. You know that there are six couples in the Bible who were considered barren and who then later had children. But the lesson is not necessarily that uh, God will give you a child as long as you pray enough. No, the lesson is that you must consider God greater than your greatest problem. If your problem is great, and even if you consider God is great at the same time, one has to be greater. It's kind of like what Jesus said when he talked about God and money. He said you cannot serve God in money. It simply cannot be done. Well, God is greater than your greatest problem, and it's something that we must believe by faith. So the first lesson from Zechariah and Elizabeth on how to be prepared is this. Stay in it. Be faithful no matter what. Persevere. Keep on keeping on. They continue to be obedient to God regardless of the circumstances. Now, Luke gives us some clues about the details of the situation surrounding Zechariah and his wife. He and his wife could have come up with many excuses not to remain faithful, but they did not. So here, here are some reasons why church people stop serving or they stop being faithful. Maybe three major excuses that people use to stop serving God even today. Sometimes it is because of the times we live in. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth could have used this excuse. After all, it had been 400 years since the last prophet spoke for God. Nobody would heard from God for those 400 years. They lived in some dark days spiritually. Most of the religious leaders we know, particularly from the times of encounters with Jesus, most were corrupt or they served only out of tradition and there was no real meaning to their worship or their religion. In other words, for most people, their religion and their worship made for no real impact or change on their lives. This was the religious times in which they lived. Politically, Herod the Great, we read it a moment ago, Herod the Great was king of Judea. He was an evil ruler. He killed people for no reasons. He killed one of his ten wives on a whim. He killed several of his sons who uh, challenged his throne. He's the one, Herod, he's the one who had all the male babies in Jerusalem killed when he heard that Jesus, a new king, had been born. So, so things did not look good spiritually, politically, economically for God's people. I mean, why serve God? Because so few people really were in those days, they could have said. Now we think about how things are today. Could people still use the same excuse? Things do not look good, do not look good, too good for a nation spiritually, politically, or economically. My goodness, does anybody watch the news today? Today, some people might could give the same excuse for not being obedient to all of God's word or not to be a sold-out servant of God for these reasons and because we might believe that so few people really are. We live in a different time. It could be that the excuse that people give today is somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody hurt my feelings. They had no children. That day, everything was seen as a reward or punishment. 
People looked down on Zachariah and Elizabeth. They must have talked about them in a disparaging way. Maybe there was lots of gossip that went around about Zachariah and Elizabeth, these priests. How can he continue to serve? How can they be a priestly couple if they had no children, if God doesn't like them? How do we know that? Because verse 25 says, after she becomes pregnant, we read through verse 22, but in verse 25, she said, the Lord's taken away my disgrace or my reproach, depending on your translation, among the people. And let's just admit it, to while church people can see can be some of the most loving on the planet, we also know that we can be sometimes among the most cruel. It's likely this couple ran into some people who were harsh and cutting toward them as a priestly couple who served in the temple. How do we know? Because if you serve God for any number of years, you cannot help but run into somebody or some people that are going to be kind of cruel or kind of cutting along the way. And we have plenty of people on our church rolls who are no longer attending, no longer being faithful, no longer serving because somebody has hurt their feelings. We need to be in the business of mending and preventing hurt feelings, whether you're in a small group or a Sunday school class or a ministry team involved in music or the choir or youth or children's ministry or whatever the case may be. Be nice. Play well together. Don't you think that's what Paul meant when he said, be ye kind, tenderhearted? Think before you speak. But can I say this to those of us who have hurt feelings from time to time? Get over yourself. Don't let hurt feelings keep you from serving the Lord Jesus, the very one who took the ultimate hurt to the cross of Christ on your behalf. Another reason that people give for excuse is this. It's my age right now. I mean, whatever season of life that we're going through, this is many people's excuses regardless of their age. Zachariah and his wife didn't say exactly how they were, but they were advanced in years. That seems like a nice say, way of saying like they were getting old. And so they could say like we have many perhaps still say, I've served my time, now it's up to somebody else. Well, we still need you. You never cease to function in the body of Christ and we want you to continue to use your gifts regardless of your age. And if all you can do is pray and there truly is nothing else that you can do, we'll become a great prayer warrior for the Lord Jesus. Young adults say, well, now when I get older, that's when I'm going to get more involved. Adults with children say, well, you know, as soon as my children get out of the nest, then I'm going to have more time. The uh, middle-aged Adults say, now when I retire, then I'll really be able to be faithful and I'll be ready to serve. You know, I have found in my short tenure of ministry that really not to be the case. In other words, if you're not ready to serve in whatever season that you're going through right now, just because it changes or even just because you have more time does not mean that's necessarily going to be happening. Teenagers think, well, I'll live for me now. There's plenty of time to worry about church and Jesus and other people later. Can I tell you, young people, that the Lord wants to use you right now where you are. You know, some of my greatest accomplishments as a teenager, it was not in my uh, athletics or being able to have grandeur moments which were not very frequent. It was not in my grades, uh, good grades, which were even less frequent. No, my greatest moments were when I befriended the friendless. When I got up from the cool kids' table and sat with somebody that wasn't invited, or when I fought for somebody who was a little bit different than me, I mean that literally and metaphorically, my only regret was that I did not do it more often. Zechariah could have found an excuse. But when God was ready to speak and use him, 
God found him obedient and serving because he persevered. Now, don't let the times we live in hurt feelings or your age or seasons of life keep you from keeping on and doing what you know that you should be doing. And yes, you could come up with a hundred excuses, perhaps, of why not to be faithful and why not to keep serving the Lord. But let me give you one good reason why. Because God loves you and Jesus is the only hope for this world. Now, if you want to be ready to be in the presence of God, hear from God, you must stay in it no matter what. It's like the old preacher said, a car that is not running is difficult to spear. You know who that old preacher is? Well, one of them is standing right here. It's going to be difficult for you to hear from God, to be ready for God to be at work in your life if you're not being found faithful. You may want to, you may want to let Jesus take the will. Let's be sure, though, that you stay in it. Be sure that you stay in the vehicle that the Lord has for you. But there's a second lesson from Zechariah that keeps us on course. At this time, there were about 20,000 male, adult male descendants of Aaron that were qualified to be priests. And on this day, Zechariah has chosen to offer up sacrifices and prayers for the people. And this was his one and only time to go into the holy place and offer prayers for the people. Zechariah, he probably waited all of his life for his lot to be called and he to be able to go to the place of sacrifice. Now, this is not into the Holy of Holies, but he's going there to the altar of incense. Some of you who have been part of our 100 days of reading, you came across perhaps the last few chapters in Exodus and Exodus 30, particularly talks about that altar of incense near the holy place, near the Holy of Holies. It's still the holy place, but near the Holy of Holies. And maybe if you read that, it talked about the description of it. and took a long time. You're trudging through the end of Exodus 30, and you're thinking, why is this description here? Well, I think it may be because so that you might be able to envision what's taking place here with Zacharias. He comes to that altar of incense, and he's offering up prayers for the people. And while Zechariah was in the holy place, Priests and other worshipers were waiting and praying, and the angel appeared, and Zechariah was startled. Understandably so. Notice what the angel said in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, I want you to be ready to hear a word from God, but not only are you to stay in it, but you're to come to God with anticipation and expectation. Come to God with anticipation and expectation. Now, at this point, Zechariah teaches us a great lesson about faith and expectation. A couple of things we learned from the parents to be of John the Baptist. They prayed and they prayed specifically. And then we're going to learn some things that they did right and maybe find it, learn actually from what Zachariah did wrong as well. But here's what I wonder. Did Zachariah and Elizabeth pray for a child for a long time? I mean, when it stopped being practical. I mean, when they got too old to think that it really could happen, did they stop praying for the child? Or did they think of Abraham and Sarah, who had children in their old age? But the reason I question this is because Zechariah questioned it. I mean, when the angel said, your old lady is about to be with child, Zechariah said, get out of here. How will I know what you're saying is true? Here is what we can conclude. This burden in their life... Maybe they never stopped praying for a child, or God remembered their prayers from when they were younger. Either way, he would not be the first believer to pray for something and then be shocked when God really answered. But it does let us know that God answers prayers. Sometimes he answers old prayers. Sometimes he answers and we does so unexpectedly. I've known couples who 
could not have children, never did, even adult singles and singles again, and the Lord has blessed them and made them a blessing to others. So regardless of your plight in life, even if you think no one else completely understands, know that God does and God hears and will answer your prayers in some way. And maybe this is actually why you're here today. Maybe this is the message that God has for you because you've been praying and you need to be reminded or encouraged today that yes, the Lord hears your prayers and he will answer. Now, Zechariah's prayer proves for us, uh, James 5, 16, New Testament, where it says that the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And God is never late in answering prayers and his timing is perfect. God's timing was perfect here. For the son, the cousin, forerunner of Jesus, would prepare the way. The name of John was significant. It was not a family name, but though it was a common name, like Jesus was a common name, but the name of John means God has shown grace. But here's something else we learned from the parents. They prayed for the nation of Israel. Why do we know that? We know that because of character and conversation. Now, if you look back at verse 6, we looked at it. They followed the commands of the Lord. Often in the Old Testament, God's people are told to pray for Jerusalem, pray for the nation of Israel. We can be assured that they did, but not just because they were told, but because they loved God. And loving God leads to loving people. But also because of the conversation of Gabriel. God has heard your prayer. You're going to have a bouncing baby boy. Would that have been enough if that's all they had prayed for? That was, that was great. But also, he's going to turn the hearts of many in the nation of Israel to God. This was also part of their prayer. Boom! Two prayers answered in one. Do you know that's the way God wants to answer your prayers? Particularly those things that are difficult in your life. Those things that you're continuing to pray for. He wants to, he wants to answer your prayer in a way that benefits others and builds the kingdom. That's how God wants to answer your prayers. Now, before you think about Zechariah, boy, this sure was easy for him to know. After all, my goodness, he had an angel appear before him. Maybe if the Lord would answer my prayer by sending an angel and just, you know, giving it to me, that'd be better. I mean, but after all, it's been 400 years since anybody heard from God. And now through an angel, God spoke to the old priest while worshiping in the temple. I find myself not wanting to be too hard on Zechariah and his response. The angel frightened him. That kind of seems to be the trend if you've read much about angels in the Bible. I'm sure that when angels begin to go to angel school and they're learning how to speak human, I'm sure that the first words that they're given to learn is the words, fear not, because it's going to happen. You're going to have to say it often. And even after the angel delivers the message, we might see our own doubts in Zechariah's response. God, how can you do this? I mean, we should know that nothing is impossible with God. Matter of fact, if we look further in this chapter, Luke 1, 37, Gabriel actually said, nothing is impossible with God when he gives the message to Mary. Oh, but I love the response that he gives in verse 19 when he says, how can this be? He says, I'm Clarence. Now, wait a second, that's a different angel. He didn't say that. That probably wouldn't have as much weight, would it? He says, I'm Gabriel. It almost sounds like as if he's pointing to myself, like saying, I'm Batman, I'm Bond, James Bond. I can do these things, but it, he's not pointing to himself. That's not, not the angel's job, is it? There are myriads of angels, three are mentioned by name. And he could have said, I'm the angel that you read about in the book of Daniel, Gabriel. 
My name means God is my hero. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and send you this good news. How can you know that it's true? God said so. Now, does it seem that Zechariah did have an advantage? I mean, a direct word from God through an angel. I don't know too many people say that angels have spoken. I do know I one or two who have said that. I, wasn't, uh, I was kind of skeptical when they told me that. But wouldn't it be great? I mean, if an angel go ahead and, and just told you, God sent an angel to speak to you to be, or how about this, even better. Instead of God saying, how about God came himself, maybe and dwelt among us and told us how much he loved us and how he cared for us and how he always would care for us. And God himself came and became one of us. And God went to the cross and died on our behalf and then he rose again. And then somebody wrote it down, all the things that he said, so that we can read it over and over again. So we'd be a little more confident about our faith and it would really make a difference. If only. Prayer becomes a significant part of the story. We're, we're to be prepared for God to answer our prayers. We're talking about that. Here's your prayer list this Christmas. Fairly simple, perhaps, but let me encourage you to pray for the world. God help the world. You know, next Sunday is our week of prayer for international missions. And then we'll be taking up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But as we do, we want to continue to pray that God's word will be spread around the world. Pray for that with anticipation and expectation that more and more will come to know Christ because more and more are coming to know Christ in some parts of the world. The gospel is flourishing. Then also you want to pray for your nation, our nation, that the hearts, the of the people of our nation will turn back to God. You want to pray for your church? Sure. Pray for your church that we'll hear the voice of God, we'll hear the message, and we'll be ready to go forth and tell and be a voice for God. And pray for your family and your personal concerns and pray with anticipation and expectation that the Lord will answer their prayers. Answer your prayers for your family and your personal concerns. And here's, here's what else the Bible teaches. Preparation begins in the heart. How can our hearts be prepared? Let's learn from what John the Baptist was told to do in preparing Israel for the coming of the Savior. And one of these may be for you. So look today to see if one of these messages is for you. What is the message for you? Well, John the Baptist would preach a message of repentance. Repentance. Luke chapter 1 and verse 16, many of the people of Israel bring, well, he, he will bring back to the Lord their God. He's, John, you know, he's not pointing to himself, but he's going to point and prepare for Jesus, and many will turn back to God. Do you need today to confess your sins before God? Today's a good day for preparation. It's a good day to prepare your heart so that you might be able to hear from God by confessing your sins, turning everything over to the Lord. Is there something you've not turned over to the Lord? It's a good day to do that. He will also preach a message of reconciliation. Of reconciliation. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. First part of that is he will go on before the Lord, the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And actually, well, that's a quote from Malachi. And there it says, from the, not only the hearts of the fathers to the children, but the children to their fathers. You know, one mark of a spiritually dark time is the disintegration of the family. We live in a day today to where many children are losing their fathers, if not to broken homes from those who are overworked or maybe those who are simply absent from the home. Yes, but also reflecting upon those or referencing any broken relationships in the family. 
The term modern family denotes a breakdown or disintegration of the family rather than a unification. But this is a reflection of all families who need to know the peace found in Christ or even a church family that share a common bond in Jesus and need to be reconciled. God's in the business of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God through Jesus and be reconciled to one another in Christ. Don't let a broken relationship keep you from being prepared to hear the message and do what God wants to do you. As far as it depends upon you, be reconciled to others. Is there a broken relationship that you need to reconcile today? We've talked about if you want to hear a message from the Lord, but you've got a broken relationship that you're not working on, that you've decided you're just going to put to the side, you're not going to think about, you're going to either... Maybe you wouldn't use the word hate. Maybe you would just say that I'm just not going to think about that person anymore. Well, we're going to have a hard time hearing the message that God wants to give us if that's still the case. John the Baptist also preached a message of righteousness. It says, and he will turn the disobedient, again, Luke 1, 17, turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just or the righteous, depending on your translation, to make ready for the Lord. Well, we know we're only made righteous because of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And there's a key phrase or key idea found here in verse, the very last part of Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Those who live in God's righteousness will hear God's message and are prepared. We know that we're not righteous by our own works, our own good deeds, but only because we have placed our faith in Jesus and we are learning now more and more to trust in Him. Gabriel not only told Zechariah, he was Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He gave him a sign. Everybody wants a sign. Zechariah seemed to want a sign. Be careful what you ask for. Because he took his voice away. He was unable to speak until all would be fulfilled. Now that's going to be bad for anybody. But consider how bad that would be for the preacher or the priest to not be able to talk. I'm just saying. And all the people are outside. They're waiting for Zechariah to come out and give the blessing. But instead he comes out and he's making signs and gestures. And they all know that he must have seen a vision. And he is unable with his voice to be able to tell the masses of all that he has seen and all the good news that he has. And he cannot tell until nine months later in this chapter when he writes the name of John on a tablet that he would be, then he was able to speak. In fact, we find not only was he not able to speak, but he was also unable to hear because they had to make signs to him. But consider this. Faith, genuine faith, opens up all kinds of opportunities. It opens our mouth and directs actions for good and kingdom purposes. A lack of faith silences our lips and closes doors. So this morning, are you prepared? Well, prepared for what? If this were your last day on earth, are you prepared to meet Jesus? If not, we want to encourage you today. Ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins. Ask Christ to come in to be your Savior and Lord. Find out. No, be on the search. Make sure you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Are you prepared? Are you ready to hear what God has been trying to tell you? Maybe he's been trying to tell you something for a long time and you want to be prepared today. And are you ready for God to answer your prayers? Even if it's not what you've expected, simply trust him and then are you ready to respond? So here's a key to preparation. And it's not all that uh, 
complicated, but we've been leading up to this. You must listen and respond. If God has something to tell you, and I know that he does, it does no good if your heart is not ready to listen and that you are ready to act on what God reveals to you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We continue to come today in your presence in a spirit of thanksgiving. We pray also that we may come in a spirit of preparation for the uh, celebration of the birth of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this time of year, this season. We pray that many are brought close to you and many who do not know you will come to know you, Father, through all the happenings that are pointing to you uh, during these next few weeks. We pray, Father, that in our own hearts that we might be prepared and that you may be working now, Father, to make careful preparations so that we can be able to find the application that you would have for each one of us. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for Parkway Baptist Church and the many ministries. Pray for those who are traveling today as well, those who may be listening online or watching today. And, Father, we pray that you will continue to be at work in our lives, not only today but in the days to come. But particularly, Father, we pray for what message you have for us this very moment. As we continue in worship, Father, continue to reveal yourself to us. If there's someone here, someone listening today, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. It's in Christ's name that we lift these prayers. Amen.